This is What's the Deal, Grossiel, the podcast that explores the people, places, history, and events that make Grossiel unique. I'm your host, Ben Fogt. This episode goes back a ways, to before the time that Europeans settled the Great Lakes, but it also goes well into our future. We know about Wyandotte. We know our neighbor to the northeast. We know Brownstown Township, a disjointed landmass that was turned into oh so many towns and cities. I didn't know that the names are connected. Brownstown is named for Adam Brown, a great leader of the Wyandotte Nation, who settled this area. Those people inhabited both sides of the Detroit River and all the way up to the St. Clair River as well. My guest today is Grand Chief Ted Roll of the Wyandotte of Anderdon Nation. Chief Ted leads a tribe of Wyandotte that trace their ancestry through the Anderdon Reservation in Esk County of Ontario, just east of Amherstburg and back all the way to Adam Brown and beyond. The Wyandotte of Anderdon are a part of an effort to reconcile our understanding of Native history in America and Canada. It's a difficult and inspiring history that we all need to know about. Now, our conversation is a bit long, so I'll stop there and have more to add at the end. Join me in welcoming Grand Chief Ted Roll. Joining me today is Chief Ted Roll of the Wyandotte of Anderdon Nation, and I'm so glad I get to learn about the indigenous people of Downriver and share it with What's the Deal, Gross Eel. Thank you so much, Chief Ted. You're welcome. You represent the Wyandotte of Anderdon. I've heard of the Wyandotte, obviously, and the Anderdon name is new to me. Can you tell me about the, the tribe and how it's connected with the, the rest of the Wyandotte? Well, like I was saying earlier, the, the Wyandotte's we call Gibraltar the little Washington, D.C. of the Wyandots because at some time or another, they all came from the, the, the Wyandot Detroit area. And during the late 1700s, some of the Wyandots moved down to Upper Sandusky, Ohio. Sure. And but they would, they're all family and they would come back, travel back and forth. So, you know, that's how. The separation started was it was a friendly separation because, you know, they went down to Ohio. It's just like me moving to Chicago because <laughs> sure. I found something better. You right. know, I shouldn't have used Chicago because I don't like Chicago, um, <laughs> but that's how it started. And it, it maintained that friendship up until the war of 1812. That's when the division came. That's when the division came because the upper Sandusky wind fought for the Americans. Okay. And the, and the Detroit Wyandots fought for the British. And it was, at the end of the day, it was all about the land. It was who could be the best salesman to get you to fight for them on their side because they, they promised that we would be able to keep our land. Sure. And at the end of the day and the end of the war, we did not get our land. We got moved all over the place. The, the Detroit Wyandotte started in Detroit, moved down to the city of Wyandotte. And this, as you know, when, once you cross over into the city limits, it comes to Biddle Avenue. And that was Major Biddle. Sure. And Major Biddle played a major part in moving the Wyandots from there down to Brownstown in Gibraltar. So I got curious one day and I thought, you know, I better find out how Wyandotte got named Wyandotte. So I called my good buddy, George Guth, because he was a teacher over there and did a, a good 
historian about Wyandotte history. I says, George, how did the city of Wyandotte get named Wyandotte? And he says, well, Major Biddle come in and decided he'd like this piece of property. He wanted that piece of property. So he moved the Wyandots down to Mungwaga in Brownstown. And somebody asked him, well, what are we going to name this land? He goes, we'll name it Wyandotte because the Wyandots were here. And that's how the name, huh. the city got named Wyandotte. Now the French added the T-E. Okay. So we spell our Wyandotte with just one T, the Wyandotte Nation in Oklahoma and Kansas. The Wyandotte Nation in Oklahoma spells it with T-E, and I'm pretty sure the Wyandotte of Kansas just used a one T. Okay. Not 100% sure. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> about that, but I think sure. that's, that I'm correct. Sure. But um, Well, so the, the Anderton Nation... Is that is that the right the right term for it? Are, are the Wyandots of of Oklahoma it, and Kansas the same nation, or are you separate? The Wyandots of Anderton, over in Canada, there there was a place called the Anderton Reserve, and now the only people that lived on there were the Wyandots. So it's the Wyandot Reserve, okay. Wyandot of Anderton. So in the late 1900s or early 2000s, we changed our name to the Wyandot of Anderton. But from 1972, when we became incorporated with the state, we got our corporation papers, it, it states Wyandots. Okay. And so we changed it to the Wyandot of Anderdon to honor our ancestors. But the Wyandot Nation and the Kansas Wyandots all came out of Upper Sand, moved down. They, they moved from here down there to Upper Sandusky. And they were the last tribe to be removed in 1843 to Kansas. Okay. Okay. So even the ones so that fought then, for the Americans got moved. Yes. And so they did do a little battle against each other in the War of 1812. Not much, but the, I think the clan mothers stopped that part. But, you know, you're fighting your own brother and right. sisters, you know, your own cousins. So when the Wyandots were removed, from Upper Sandusky, they went to Kansas. They were the last tribe to be moved. And when they got there, they were promised 140,000 acres, which didn't come about. They didn't have it. It wasn't there. And so they took care of the Senecas and the Delawares in Ohio. So when they got to Kansas, the Senecas and the Delawares took care of the Wyandotte. And so they bought the, the, the Ohio Wyandots bought 36 lots from the Senecas, and, an, and the Senecas gave them an extra three. And then in 1857, there was another split in the Wyandots, and some of them stayed in Kansas, and some of them got removed to what is now known as Wyandotte, Oklahoma. And about 200 families went down there in 1857. As you read through history, all the tribes were split because of the wars, because the British or the Americans or the French, whoever had the biggest line, uh, call them used car salesmen, <laughs> yeah. that they, they would fight for them because if we win the battle, you get to keep your property. It was all about land. Sure. And so... For the Kansas people that stayed there, they had 
the deal was that if you give up your Indian status, you get to keep your land. There's a lot of history of windouts in Kansas on both sides of Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the windouts got there that the Nebraska Territory became a territory because it was Walker. I think it was John Walker. I know the last name was Walker. He got involved in the politics of the Nebraska Territory, and he's the one that straightened it all out and became the first territorial governor of the Nebraska Territory. And he was adopted by Adam Brown. Okay. Adam Brown Adam Brown comes up a lot when we talk about the Wyandotte. Uh, do you want to talk about him and and uh, how he's, you know, we, we use his name uh, a lot around here in the Brownstown Township, obviously. Um, but talk about Adam Brown. Adam Brown was captured by the Wyandots in a war down in Virginia. And he was either nine years old or 12 years old, depends on what history book you read. <laughs> and he was, they had lost a brave in the battle. And so they would, if they could capture somebody to take that brave's place, that's what the Wyandots would do. So they captured Adam Brown and brought him back here to Michigan and got adopted into the Wyandots, married a Wyandot woman, and then they started having kids, and then the Brown family started to grow. And so, but Adam Brown never left Detroit. He, he did not. Um, he, well, he wasn't around here for the removal act because he died in 1823 or four. And so, but he had sons and daughters. Um, Nancy Quindaro Brown played a big part in the slave slavery movement in Kansas city, because they would bring the slaves from the other side of the Missouri river over to this side of the river and storm in the church, and then they would let them release them, and they go to Quindaro, Kansas, and there was all kinds of caves, and they would escape through the caves down to the other river and be free. They would free them, and so the Civil War come into play. It split the tribe again because there was some Wyandots that wanted slaves, and other Wyandots didn't think that was right. They didn't want slaves. So uh, the story goes that they burnt the church that was freeing the slaves. They told them to get your your history and everything out of that church because we're burning your church down, and they burn it down. Hmm. And then they moved the church two blocks over and rebuilt it from the stuff that was left over from the burnt church. <laughs> hmm. But uh, there's a library across the street or next, right next to the cemetery, the Wyandotte Cemetery is a, has a national marker on it. And the upstairs of the Wyandotte Kansas Library is all about Indian history. And you got to know somebody to get up there to, to do your research because it is well, it is well protected. Well, so with Adam Brown, yeah. you've got a, a project uh, going on here in with the Anderdon Nation that has uh, it's called the Six Points Village Project, and that's down right. in Gibraltar, and it's yep. property that was once owned by Adam Brown, right? That is correct. Lot three fifty five and three fifty four, and three fifty five cuts across the northeast corner of Six Points, 
and then Walker has property on the on the riverside. So, yeah. What's going to go in at the village? Well, right now we're working with uh, the University of Michigan, and we're working with John Hardick. They are the students are looking at the the climate control on the the water level of Lake Erie, sure. and seeing how why it's up and down the way it is because when it goes up we're in tough shape when it's down we're in good shape a couple of years ago we were filing for a grant to get things started and it was with the herb lumber company and a couple of other people two years in a row we almost got the grant we just it didn't hit the board's hot point there were some other people that needed the money more than we did and they got it and they apologized. I mean, <laughs> I thought when they met, we, we had a meeting with them and they went down and we, we walked the property. They thought, and they all thought, wow, this is a great idea. Great, great project. And I thought, you know, wow, we're going to get this. And at the last minute, we didn't get it. And two years in a row, we did that. So then I made a trip to Lansing, second chief at the time was Darcy Tamaro. Him and I were invited to Lansing to come down on the House floor for recognition. Every every state representative gets to bring somebody in during the their term in office and give them uh, recognition on the, the House floor. And so that's the first time I've been to Lansing. I lived in or the Capitol building. Yeah. So Tara Clemente, who is a tribal member, took us there and we're sitting in the Senate and they were working on a bill called the Iron Bell Trail. Sure. And so I'm sitting next to this guy and, and we started chit-chatting back and forth and I asked him what he was doing here and he'd ask me what I was doing here and come to find out he was ahead of the Iron Bell Tour. Oh. And so we exchanged business cards and... I says, you know, we're going to be talking. I says, you know, we got a project that you might be interested in and taking a look at. And so, and then as we got recognized on the house floor, a lot of people that I know down river that our reps came over and talked and, and um, I get to meet the speaker of the house. And so we're walking back to Kara's office and who am I walking next to? the guy from the Iron Bell tour. <laughs> and so sure. we started a conversation again. And so I went back to Lansing. Kara said, well, you need, I got a meeting with these two people that are doing projects down around Flat Rock and Gibraltar and Trenton. And um, one was working on the, uh, wanting to do a canoe, uh, make the Huron River be able to go from Ann Arbor to Lake Erie on a canoe on the Heron River. And so the person, the other person at the meeting was, guess who? The guy from the Iron Bell tour. <laughs> so Life has a way I of steering to people together, don't, doesn't it? Yeah. And so we're sitting at the table and we're having this discussion and he pulls out this big brochure on the Iron Bell tour. And I'm going, Hey, see that spot right there? And he goes, yeah. I said, that's where six points in. He says, you got to be kidding me. I said, no. I says, we're right there. 
the Iron Belt tour, for some ungodly reason, comes through Flat Rock, yeah. down here in River Drive, gets on Woodruff Road, Woodruff Road to West Jefferson. It makes a slight jog on West Jefferson and makes a right at the traffic light and goes down South Gibraltar Road. And guess where Six Points is at? Oh, right there. Right there. Yeah. And so, so again, we start talking about what we're doing. And he says, well, anytime that you need a letter of recommendation for a grant or anything, you let me know and I'll write you a letter. I said, oh, okay, excellent. cool. And that, that Iron so, Bell, um, that's, a, that's a bike trail that goes quite a ways across Michigan, bike, right? It, oh, it, it goes around the whole state of Michigan and up okay. into the U- UP. Yeah. So, so from, it follows the shoreline. And for some odd reason, it doesn't come down as far as Monroe. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to meet all these people. Then I go back up to Lansing again. And Susan White is now the refuge director at the time. And I called her up and I said, how about going up to Lansing with me and being moral support and help me with this? And she said, sure. So she called me up. She goes, well, we have a, I have to be up in Lansing on Tuesday. I'll just spend the night. You pick me up at the hotel and then we'll go to the meeting. So we sat down with, now we're sitting down with all the DNR people that the DNR trust, that was an interesting meeting. We talked at the table and meeting was adjourned and it continued out in the hallway. And in the meantime, I said, why don't you come down and tour and see what we got? And so the head of the DNR trust fund and the second person in charge made a special trip down at Gibraltar and we walked the property. I told John, I said, you better bring some boots because we're going to get wet. Yeah. And so we got knee high boots on and, and we're walking through the property and he goes, this is a nice piece of property. But, you know, you, you look at things and you look at a vision and you, you want to see it happen. And you have to keep an eye on your vision and keep going out there. And I mean, when I left work at from the steel mill, I, I drove right by that piece of property every day. And sometimes there was days that I needed to go home. Before I get home, I needed to walk the trails to clear my mind. Sure. Because it was one of those days. And yeah. one of the one of the stories that I have is that after the Wyandotte Nation bought the property, um, their TIPO officer and her dad came into town and she wanted to walk six points. So we, me and another elder, Tom Lawler from Trenton, uh, we walked the property with Sherry and her dad, Ted, another Ted on the board. Look out. <laughs> we're both characters. We're, we're back there and there's a great big circle back there. And it's all these big cottonwood trees. And it, it was, they had all the leaves on it. And it wasn't fall yet. So we were offering tobacco and saying a prayer. And I looked up and I'm looking around at all these trees. And there was no wind whatsoever moving anywhere on that property or the area. In the middle of all these big trees, the, the leaves were waving. Hmm. And I said, Sherry, she goes, I see it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep saying it. And there was an eagle flying over us at the same time. Wow. And I said, well, I guess we're standing in the right place because 
what what other signs could you have that there's ancestors here and there's the eagle that flies over you know the eagles are coming back into this area and there was it seemed like every time we did something out there that year the eagles were flying over us hmm. sure so that's really special yeah that, yeah i mean it and right down not too far from six points you got lake erie metro park and then you got the hawk watch there right. in september and they come right over six points because we're probably the way the bird flies you're about a mile away right yeah this whole region is is a great crossroads for nature that's for sure and so i i can see why yeah. why the wyandotte would would settle here too great fishing you know especially before industrialization happened and all oh, yeah. the the birds that come through it's just a special place yeah it's- well, yeah, industrial, in, industrial, what's that word you said? Industrialization. Industrialization, yeah. Yeah, really killed Lake Erie. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at all the steel mills dumping into it. You had Great Lakes. You had uh, Rouge Steel or Ford Motor Company steel mill down the Rouge River that dumped right into Lake Erie or the Detroit River. And you had McClough Steel, um, right. Chrysler Plant, Monsanto, Detroit Edison. BASF wow. for that it matter. Took, yeah. It took a beating. Yeah. But it looks like we're, we're getting better. So we're, we're hoping that we can continue that, that progress. Um, so for six points, are, is there a plan for events or activities once, once things are developed the way that, that you want? Yeah. You know, like I, I told you earlier that I've, I've been around, I've seen, I was just on a wild rice, 16 day wild rice tour up into Minnesota Sure. Upper Peninsula and Wisconsin, and we stopped at this. We had a couple of days to kill, and uh, so we went sightseeing, and and we went to national um, not national park, but a state park that had a dam or a waterfall in it. And guess what? They had a water a, a boardwalk in it. You know, yeah. and what's the best? Thank God for cell phones. It takes pictures. <laughs> yeah. There were spots that you could go down the steps and go down and walk around. And, and I was underneath the, the boardwalk taking pictures and taking all kinds of angle pictures and the steps and getting all kinds of ideas. And, and the lady that was with me on the trip, she says, what are you doing? I says, I'm checking this out because we got to build a boardwalk on six points. And this looks like it'd be the ideal framework to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's a great plan. It's, it's just that we keep coming up short since we are not a regularly recognized tribe at this time. And then uh, wind out of Oklahoma own it. They are a federally recognized tribe. And so in dealing with the DNR, they were going to give us a grant, but our being a, a how do I want to explain this? We, you have in-kind we have different ways of matching the grant. The grant was for $300,000 or $350,000. And you have, we had to match half of that. And we, our half could be any money that we spent on appraisals, surveys, any improvement we did to the land, man hours or in-kind hours. We, that counted towards our half of the money. Since it was a DNR grant, they can only deal with federal recognized tribes. 
Okay. So John Mays, uh, he liked what we were doing and the spot it was in. And so he worked on getting the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma uh, the opportunity to file for a state grant, a Michigan grant, because they own property in Michigan because they owned it. So they would have to be the fiduciary. The only challenge to that is Chief Billy, his tribe would have to come up with the other uh, $170,000 or $175,000 in cash. Hmm. And uh, he said, no, that's not going to work. He goes, you know, uh, he says, I have to watch what I do here. I can't be. You know, he says, I got your back, but there's certain things I can do and certain things I can't do. Sure. And I totally understand that. And I said, well, what happens if I got the money and laid it on your desk to cover your half? Would you do it? And he, and he says, you're, you're, you're tempting me, but I don't know if I could still do that. Yeah. Because their, their accounting system has to be very, because they get, you know, the federal government keeps an eye on the federal tribes. They, sure. they, they get audited. So yeah. he's got to protect his tribe. And I totally understand that. So with, with your efforts there, are there ways for regular folks? Do you, do you do fundraisers? Are there other ways to contribute to the cause? Yeah, we haven't come up with the big fundraising program yet. We do through all this. We also have our Michigan gaming license. Okay. So we can go into poker rooms and we can run raffles and that helps put money into the general, or we have to keep it separated. We have a fundraising account and we have a millionaire party account. We have to keep it separated. So keep everybody. That's the rules of the game. Sure. But we can, we can use those things that for special projects and we, we have a scholarship program. For the kids graduating from high school, we give them a $500 gift to get started. They have to show us, um, they have to be a member in good standing. They have to show us their diploma. They have to show us that they got their classes set up and they're ready to go to school. And we give them a $500 check to get started. So when we run the raffles, we can transfer money from the fundraiser account over, or we can write checks out of the fundraiser account to cover that $500 because it's, it's a special project. It, it covers sure. education. Sure. So, you know, there's ways to make money, but there's ways that you have to spend it too. Right. Following the rules gets, yep. gets complicated there. Since this is a, a podcast about gross eel, um, I know that, that Wyandotte, occupied the islands in between the river because, you know, there, there was no national border, you know, by, by indigenous people. So Grossiel would have had uh, Wyandotte living on it. Are you aware of any villages or anything that, that might've been on Grossiel back before the Macomb brothers? Well, honestly, I can say no, I don't think there was a village, but I know that there was a lot of Wyandotte born on Grossiel because that's where my dad was born. Yeah. All of his siblings were born on Grozeal. If you run across the name Grunda, Waro, um, not to, there's no roles that live over there, but uh, Grunda and Waro, 
there's a lot of those people over on Grow Zeal. Uh-huh. So there is why not history over there. But you also have to remember, too, that when we came back over across the, the river, that we had to watch out for the Indian boarding schools. Oh, sure. So when my dad and his siblings were all born, my grandmother didn't raise them as Wyandots. They raised them as white people. They knew they were Wyandots, but they weren't allowed to speak the language, practice tradition or culture, because the boarding schools, the, the government would come in and take the kids and change their clothing, cut their hair, and they weren't allowed to practice any of their traditions or culture or language. So the theme of the boarding school was to kill the Indian to save the man. Hmm. And so luckily, my dad and his siblings never went to the boarding school. I don't think we had too many people. We had a couple of families in the in the tribe today remember almost going have, going. The elders almost had to go to the boarding school, but um, they were hidden by the nuns. They knew that the uh, government was coming to that school to to see who was native, and they knew this one family were natives, and they, they went to those classes, and they put them in special rooms where they couldn't find them. Hmm. So, wow. um, yeah. Oh, we mean, talked we talked about how the and and what that's be, turn of the century that's that's uh, like late 1800s early 1900s yeah in the 1900s i mean as far as 19 sometime in the 1970s is when the boarding schools started stopped taking kids out of the houses wow that's not so long so, ago yeah yeah it's yeah it's not it's somewhere in the 1970s 1980s but I think it was the 1970s that the uh, the boarding school stopped. I mean, you have the boarding school up at uh, the Saginaw Chips. You have the boarding school. There's a there was a boarding school at Springwells that we found out, hmm. and then there was a boarding school at Harbor Harbor Springs up in uh, by Traverse City in Calcas up there, hmm. up by Traverse City between Traverse City and the bridge. Okay. Harbor, Harbor Town, I think it's called, or Harbor Springs. Um, there was a boarding school there. There was a school at Springwells that we just found out about. St. Anne's Church in Detroit and Assumption Church. There was there is there was a connection there, and then up in the UP in Lake Superior, where that little um, peninsula goes out into Lake Superior, the mining town. Um, there was a um, orphanage slash boarding school there. So here at the battlefield, we we have many irons in the fire. We're talking about how to build can, elm bark canoes, dugout canoes. Uh, baskets out of elm bark and birch bark. We're, we're talking about the sturgeon. We're talking about right. the removal. We're talking about the boarding schools. We're going to have we're going to have films explaining, making people aware and and hopefully understanding 
why native people, how native native people had to survive. And that that's an important resource. I, I think uh, I I didn't realize until until we talked that that the River Raisin National Battlefield Park has uh, so much information about native peoples and and that culture. So that's a uh, well, good to know about. You have my personal invitation to come down here, and I will walk you through everything that we're we're doing, and I'll take you back into the education center that we're working on right now to make people aware and understand the native side of the story. And we'll, we're going to tell both sides. Um, yeah. The back, you know, it, it, it's a timeline when you walk in. It's pre-contact. We got a, we got a long house that is um, 25 feet wide, 50 feet long, and 20 feet high. And it's made just like the long houses back then, the Potawatomi and um, Wyandots built longhouses. The Wyandots would call them longhouses, and the Potawatomi called them bark houses. Hmm. So um, we have a lot of things here that people don't realize how things are done today, how they got started. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we even have. We even have corduroy roads set up in here that, you know, where West Jefferson crosses over the Heron River. Sure. Well, at the corduroy road is still underneath West Jefferson. Oh, wow. The logs, when the water, when the bathtub, I call it the bathtub, when the bathtub moves to Cleveland and Buffalo, right. and Lake Erie moves all that way. Yeah. The logs are still underneath that road. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can see them. Yeah. And when we, we talked with Rusty, um, in, in the episode that we, we talked about the, the battle, um, that was back in January. I think I talked to him the, uh, uh, yeah, we talked about that in the great black swamp and how, how that influenced, you know, migration patterns and all that. So. Yeah. When you come down West Jefferson, Rusty and, and Bill saw did a thing on, the first road in Michigan, and that's West Jefferson. Right. And West Jefferson has had many names. It's Dixie Highway up here or down here, yeah. and it turns into, it used to be a U.S. Turnpike, and and part of it was called the U.S. Turnpike, and then once, once you got closer to Brownstown, it was called River Road, hmm. and then they decided to change the name and put West Jefferson all the way through, but it changed when it gets up here, it's Dixie highway Sure. or down here in Monroe, it gets the Dixie highway. And that takes you all the way down through Toledo and all the way down to Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> huh. But guess what? That's not taught in schools. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think, I think we've covered everything here. Um, I'm definitely going to encourage everybody to go and, and especially go down to the, the battlefield and, and see the stuff that's there and, and anything we can do to support uh, the building of, of six points. Um, I think, I think a lot of folks, at least on Grossiel are, are going to be also supportive of that. So one thing I ask at the end of my conversations for the podcast is, is for a wish. Um, typically it's a wish for, for Grossiel, the Island or the downriver area. Sometimes it's the ecosystems or just, you know, the community in general. 
couple weeks ago, one of one of the guests uh, was making a wish uh, for the lake sturgeon um, on their behalf. So I don't know if we haven't talked about a wish, but if you had a wish that you could make happen, what what would it be? Wow. <laughs> um, I would say the development of six points because you have a battle that happened near there. You have a wind out village there. You have a lot of history that people aren't aware of. And I, and I honestly believe that if we can get six points built, you know, you ever, you, you remember that movie, build it and they will come. Sure. Sure. Field of dreams. I'll think that we could, pres- if we get it built the way, I think it should be built or we think it should be built that it tells we share the story. Okay. Yeah. We share the story of the wind outs. We share the story of the battle. We share the story of the city of Gibraltar. We share different things that it won't be one dimensional. When you come there, you're going to get, you will get a history lesson. And working here at the battlefield, I've learned that there's a process, there's a procedure. And you got to to lead people through all these steps, and I think we're doing that. And and to tell the story, I know I was up in Saint Ignace, and there's a Ojibwe museum up there. And I walk outside of the museum, and here's these pictures of the clans, and explaining the bear clan, the deer clan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's five turtle clans, the wolf clan, and people don't know about those. And if you could put a historical sign up and a picture and a reading of, you don't need to go into a long detail. You just need to wet their whistle right? and give them the basics of why you're, why is it a deer clan and why are there turtle clans? and explain the different clan system because all the tribes have a clan and I belong to the spotted turtle clan and they, it's called awareness and understanding because it's not taught in schools. Sure. And that would be my wish. I think that the city, city of Gibraltar would be a great place to start this because that's where Adam Brown was. And if, right. and if you look in the down river area, you see Brownstown spread all over the place right. and there's not a monument honoring the man anywhere. Sure. And so one of my dreams is to have him honored along with the, the chiefs of the war of 1812 that led the battle. Sure. They were all brothers one way or another. Most of them were all brothers you know, people don't understand that. Even our tribal nation has a brief education on our history, but they don't have the full story. I don't think, well, you know, we're working on that for the narrative for right. federal recognition, because that's what we have to do. Right. And it it takes a lot of, lot of reading, a lot of history, and you have to, and there's, like I said, it's like a wagon wheel with a lot of spokes. Sure. And somewhere along the line, you got to connect all the spokes together to tell the story. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, along with that, there's even a, a greater wheel there because the, the wildlife refuge having the, the gateway, yeah, the refuge gateway there. And then, 
uh, Great Lakes Metro Park has a great, a great system of programs there um, mm-hmm. that fitting into and all that. All, and, and we're all connected. And, right. you know, I deal with the refuge. Well, John Hardig and, sure. and Susan White. And now it's Larry Duchesne for now. Yeah. Um, the, the Metro Park system. I know Kevin and Paul and well, Nina has walked on to a better job. Um, <laughs> and then you got the battlefield. Right, right. You know, when when I was growing up, I didn't know any of this. Sure, and and so this is going to be a great, uh, you know, a great corridor of of learning from both cultural Mm -hmm. and and natural perspectives, and and I think that's really amazing. So, well, I want to thank you, Chief Ted. Um, I'm so glad we could talk today. I want you to know I appreciate you, and I appreciate any opportunity to gain gain more understanding of uh, the culture that was here so long ago and and that you're helping to preserve and and grow for that matter there's a whole lot more depth and diversity than we can normally see around us just by you know driving quickly by and and so i'm so glad you were able to share that with me today well i i appreciate the opportunity to do that and i thank you very much and the word for thank you in wyandotte is tisame ah great thank you so much thank you This conversation will be ongoing for me, and I hope you'll join it too. Chief Ted mentions working at the River Raisin National Battlefield Park in Monroe. Now I stopped in and got that tour that he talked about. It's not quite ready yet, but there's a lot to see, and when it's done, there will be actual buildings that represent centuries of culture in a way I've certainly never seen before. If you visit and see Chief Ted or Rusty Davis, mention the podcast and maybe they'll let you take a look backstage. The Battlefield also has some films and books that focus on the Wyandotte and other tribes of Michigan, and they have a special book they published to give a driving tour of the sites where important events of of the War of 1812, and really, the acceleration of America's fight with indigenous people, occurred. It's Native American History Month, and I didn't produce this episode to make an alternative Thanksgiving story or to have a token Native people episode. I really think that the story of how so many people were displaced, often violently, is very important. What the resources that the River Raisin Park and the Wyandotte of Anderdon share tells the story in a very new way, at least to me. They acknowledge that atrocities were committed by every party involved. They map out a way forward for us to learn about how we can see now as incredible mistakes, sometimes of folly, sometimes ignorance, and sometimes just blatant abuse. And then they reconcile that and they try to help all sides recover things that we all lost in the process. This isn't the only story like this, but it is one. And I know my life is better for trying to learn from it. If you wanna take that journey with me, stop in at the battlefield and look around. Get yourself a copy of The Journey to Understanding at the desk for $10, and let's take that first step. What's the Deal, Grosseal is produced and edited by me, Ben Fote, for Fote Media Productions. See the episode notes for links, credits, and ways to listen, comment, and share. And as always, thank you for listening to What's the Deal, Grosseal? <laughs>